hope everybody got to sleep last night and had a good breakfast as we begin our second reflection on this beautiful Saturday morning. Last night we looked at the heart, these different metaphors, the heart is a home, the heart is a refuge, the heart is a sanctuary, basically showing how our hearts, center of our beings, should have capacity for God and for others. And so now what I wanted today is look a little bit about how we prepare our heart as that home or that sanctuary, uh, making our heart a home in order to be able to welcome others. And to a certain extent, try to get practical about what is necessary for that to happen. And the idea for this came actually, instead yesterday, even though I'm not biologist or I know nothing much about human biology uh, from the structures of the heart as far as understand the heart has the atria and the ventricles and it's the atria or atria is plural for atrium where the blood enters in to the heart in order for it then to be pumped back out to the rest of the body and so the word atrium is actually from the Latin, which means a hearth, or sort of like where the fire is. And so if you go into a church or a building, we normally say you enter in through the atrium. So this is the atrium is the, that little foyer area, the entrance area where people come into the house. And so that's why I thought atrium is the place where people are welcomed. And so sort of imagining our heart is a home, that atrium where the blood comes in is where we welcome other people in with that attitude. So what does it look like to have a welcoming home, to have a sanctuary that is open to other people? How do we receive others? And so I have just a series of sort of reflections, again, for y'all to be able to contemplate, to pray about, to see how it uh, pertains to your own heart. The first is there are three things that I think that one has to do to prepare your home for visitors, for people to be welcomed into it. First of all, it's got to be clean. It has to be clean. You don't want people coming into a dirty house, particularly if it's a sanctuary, if it's a place that's holy, if this is going to be a place where God is going to dwell. Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. And so it is that purity of heart. You know, whenever you travel and you want to stay at a hotel, you go there and you can see there's some bed bugs. And it's like they haven't, the lady hasn't cleaned the little glass by the sink. Y'all are not going to want to stay there, particularly if y'all are ladies. Y'all are not going to want to stay there. You're going to find a place that's twice as expensive, but clean. <laughs> no one wants to stay in a dirty home or one that's dank and dark. It's got to be something flooded with light, something beautiful, something clean. And so in a certain sense, this is what we want. We need our hearts to be clean because we want people to, to find a home there. But more importantly, because people need to be loved purely. There's something I tell, I teach moral theology to the seminarians, and we talk about purity of heart. Most people today are unchaste because they've never been loved chastely. Their parents have not loved them chastely, as we're going to talk about what that means. 
They've been objectified by other people. And so to be able to be loved purely in a chaste way, in that chaste environment, can be transformative in people's lives, where we love them for who they are, not what they can do for us. So how do we clean our hearts? Well, I think confession, of course, is a good thing to continuously go to confession, particularly if we're in grave sin. I really love the devotion of receiving the Eucharist and saying, Lord, give me your pure Eucharistic heart. And of course, I think growing in chastity, where we love and are loved purely. We learn to control ourselves to be able to give of ourselves. So working on the pure heart, cleaning the room up nicely. Number two, besides being clean, the heart has to be well-ordered. It can't be a bunch of clutter. You can't have your magazines and your old pizza boxes laying around. Nobody's going to want to sit down in there. Not going to want to hang out. And what clutters our heart are our attachments are inordinate attachments. It's all right to be attached to your family. It's all right to be attached to your possessions. It's inordinate attachments. Ones that I cling too much to this, where it takes up so much space, there's no room for God or for others. You don't want your heart to be like those TV shows, hoarders. You don't want to have all kinds of just junk gathered in there or some big junk room where you just put a bunch of trash. Our hearts should be there can be things in them, people, God, but they need to be well-ordered and structured. And so this is where we can do this by examining our conscience. What's taking up a space in our hearts that is blocking out space for God or those people whom we love or those who have been given to us? So sometimes like, you know, it's spring cleaning. You throw all that stuff out. Sometimes we need that time to declutter. And maybe a retreat is a good time to do this, to declutter and to be able to be well-ordered and structured. And then finally, um, this is going to sound like a strange one, but if you're going to invite people into your home, you've got to believe your home's beautiful. you got to believe that this is a nice place. Uh, people should want to come out here. Just like I know they believe this retreat center. They're proud of it. This is a nice retreat center. We want to be here. And But so often I see that people don't believe, oh, my heart's not worthy, it's too small, it's unimpressive. You don't have to have a mansion. It can be a poor and simple little place, but people still can be welcome there. But if you think your heart is a crack den, or you think it's a hovel in the side of a mountain, because you hate yourself, and because you believe these lies that make you doubt the goodness or the suitability of your heart, you're not going to want anybody in. And so we have to believe, hey, I have a good heart. This is a place that people would want to come. This is a place that Jesus would want to come. Mary and Joseph didn't have a fancy house at Nazareth, but it was still something very welcoming. And this is something I see women struggle with a lot not thinking they're worth it, not thinking they're valuable, not thinking that they love well enough or they're worthy of being loved well enough. And it makes me think of a quote from St. Therese in one of her letters. Now, if you read the quote, it sounds like something, but you've got to understand the context. So she is writing to her sister, Celine, who's now Sister Genevieve, but she's writing as if Mary is talking to her. So she's writing from the person of Mary, talking to her sister, Sister Genevieve. And I love this quote. 
if you want to endure in peace, so imagine that Mary's speaking this to you. If you want to endure in peace the ordeal of not being pleasing to yourself, you will give me, Mary, a sweet asylum. It is true that you will suffer since you will be at the door of your home, but do not fear. The more you will be poor, the more Jesus will love you. So this is the thing. So basically, we are, or, or, or our heart's poor. Granted, it's not very, very nice. We sometimes are ashamed of it. But this is what the Lord wants to enter into. This is what we want to have others enter into. And then they will tell us, listen, your heart's good. It's all right. I like being here. Invite Jesus and Mary into your home. You've got to have confidence and believe it is a place that people want to come and that it is a place that Jesus wants to dwell. So I think that's like you're going to have the big party. You're going to have guests over. This is what you do before the guests come over. Keep it clean, keep it decluttered, and have confidence. I can't wait to have these people over. We're going to have a great party. We're going to have a great time together. So... Yeah. So again, again, I'm, I'm translating the French here. So St. Therese is writing, if you want to endure in peace, the ordeal of not being pleasing to yourself, like imagining your home is not suitable, you will then give me, Mary, sweet asylum. It is true that you will suffer since you will be at the door of your home. Basically, I'm assuming thinking like, well, I'm not really worthy to go in there. But do not fear, the more you will be poor the more Jesus will love you. So yeah, you can think, like, my heart is not worthy. But the more that you embrace that, the more Jesus wants to go into it. And Jesus is the one who is going to make it worthy. Jesus is the one who is going to build it up. Does that make sense? It's a mystery. Ask St. Therese what she thinks. Ask her what she meant. <laughs> she can't write straight. So here it is. So we've done this now. Our heart is prepared. Well, then we have to basically put up the the the, the vacancy sign. Like, hey, we got room. The sign that invites people into it. The need to be both receptive and welcoming. You can never have that no vacancy sign. Hey, y'all, I, I, I'm open for business. People can come here to know the Lord's love, to be able to encounter Mary and Jesus. And so I think the key term is receptive, to be receptive, just like the container is receptive to be filled up. And there's a real gift, I think, that by nature women have, this feminine receptivity, possibly built into your own biology, but still to be open and receptive. And Mary was the most receptive. Again, think of the visitation. While Elizabeth received Mary into her home when she went to visit, it was Mary who received Elizabeth into her heart. Mary always very receptive to the gift of the Spirit, to other people, um, to her son. Mary is that icon of receptivity. So we want to be receptive to all, but I think specifically the people we believe that are given to us. John Paul II, one of my favorite writings that he ever did, and I quote it a lot, it actually was published posthumously. You could find it online. It's called his Meditation on Givenness, G-I-V-E-N-N-E-S-S, Givenness. 
where he talks about the, the belief that the people in his life that have been given to him, family, friends, parishioners, and that he was tasked with them. They're a gift. I'm tasked with you. It's like you're tasked with those people that are given to you to watch over them, to care for them. And so our heart is a home, yes, in a certain sense to everyone, but there are certain people who are given to you, your children, your spouse, your friends, other people, the priest, parishioners, seminarians, whatever. And we're tasked to take care of them. And so it's the real openness we want to have to those people. Hey, please come in. You are at home with me. And I think sometimes, though, we've got to be willing to receive them, even as we'll see when they are not in the best condition. It's easy to receive guests when everybody comes and they bring a nice bottle of Camus and they want to hang out. But sometimes when they come and they need a bath and they don't feel like they want to talk to you, we still have to be willing to receive them. And, and that the quote that I really sort of use as a basis for today's reflection or inspire this is from Father Jacques Philippe. And he wrote a little book called Priestly Fatherhood. And so he's talking about the, the heart of a priest, which needs to be welcoming too. But I think we can apply it to everyone. He says, all of us, whatever our errors or wounds may be, must feel welcomed and loved as we are. The Father never has an attitude of rejection, disdain, hardness, or judgment against another. Neither does the mother. He even has special affection for the smallest, the poorest, the most hurting. He has a limitless patience founded on hope. He believes in the other, even when the other doesn't believe him. So, hey, we're welcoming to everybody, particularly when they do not feel like they are loved or they are lovable. And so this receptivity is that I'm going to take you into my heart because, hey, you're really nice and you're fun. But I want to take you because I believe the Lord has sent you to me. And so welcoming is taking them where they're at, where they're at in their own life, imperfect, broken, sinful, expressing unconditional love. Regardless of what you're going through, I still love you and you're still welcome. So the heart becomes a place of mercy, misericordia, cordia, core, the heart, miserere, to, to, to be pity for, to have compassion for, in a non-judgmental way. I tell you, this is what creates zones of mercy and freedom in an encounter in people's lives. So as I said, I did 11 years working with college students. And, and of course, college students come to me when they're 18, and, and I've learned a lot. And the number one thing that I've seen that a lot of young people struggle through is rejection from their parents. Feeling that their parents reject them, put demands on them, or refusing to accept them as they are. And granted, your kids are going to make decisions that you disagree with. They know you disagree with them, still love them. Listen to them. Receive them. And I think so often, so so quick to criticize, so quick to tell you what you should or you shouldn't be doing. That is going to push kids away every single time. Shut your mouth. Just <laughs> be quiet. We're going to talk about that in a second. And to be able to receive them. I think for those of you who know about, about sports, 
If every time you get up to bat, you swing for the fences, you're going to lose. Particularly if it's the ninth inning and you're three runs down. You've got to get on base. Then you can swing for the fences. We've got to play the long game. You're not going to convince these people that are given to you that are, uh, are, are in these kind of crazy lifestyles to come back to Jesus and start adoring the Eucharist after one sit down. Play the long game. Well, you might be in it for years, but you've got to have that patience there and that they have to come to believe that they can trust you and that you are a safe home, that you're not going to abandon them no matter how bad it gets. This is what creates the home, these zones of mercy, freedom, and encounter. Does this make sense? I mean, I don't mean coming down too hard, but I picked up messes for 11 years. And again, it's it's giving people the space to be themselves. Is it easy? No, it's not. But this is what the home is. You're still welcome here. Now, you can't like do drugs in my house. I get it. But you know what I'm, I'm trying to say. So how do we become welcoming? How do we adapt this sort of like non-judgmental manner but one that really has the welcome sign you know the little welcome doormat there and i think there are a number of ways but i'm going to offer four and these are the attitudes we can take or, or actually the activities or the things we can engage in to make our hearts more welcoming and the first is this and it's going to sound kind of like weird is learning to see is seeing you know, the eyes are connected to the heart. We know that. We can see with the eyes of our heart. And when we talk about our eyes, we normally think, well, I saw that thing over there. Well, no, that's not how it actually works. Your eyes are receiving the reflection of the light into it. Your eyes actually, even though you may look like we go out, you're actually receiving images. So when we see another person with our eyes, we are actually receiving them into ourselves, the sense impression. So I like to say seeing is receiving. And blessed are the pure of heart. If we have a pure heart, we're going to see God, but we're also going to be able to see ourselves and other people as the Lord sees them. So we're not going to reduce them, what John Paul II calls the reductive gaze. We're going to see them as the Lord sees them and not as objects. And we're going to be in that habit of learning to perceive and, and notice things around us and even notice people around us. One of the, the, the things I brought up last night, I'm going to bring up again over the course of this retreat, is the prodigal son, Luke chapter 15. The younger son, remember, he goes off. But as he comes back, the father sees him from a long distance away. He's waiting for him. He's looking for him. He sees him and he runs out to meet him. So we've got to be on the lookout for the way the Spirit works for the people that the Lord puts into our lives. And so it's through us and through our eyes that people are welcomed, that they know the Lord loves them. My, my favorite quote I use in almost all my talks in, is from Father Jacques Philippe about this power of our eyes to demonstrate and show the love of the Father. He says, we urgently need the mediation of another's eyes to love ourselves and accept ourselves. The eyes may be those of a parent, a friend, a spiritual director, but above all, they are those of God our Father. The look in his eyes is the purest, truest, 
tenderest, most loving, and most hope-filled in the world. We mediate the Father's eyes. So when we do that, what we're basically saying is, you're welcome in the Father's house. You're here. I see you. I see you as good. I see you as valuable. And this is something that, that we, 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 we all need. We all need to be seen. We all need to be known and loved. Uh, a few years ago, I read a book about this man who had gone to prisons in the Northeast. We're talking with the worst criminals, the murderers, the, the worst imaginable. And they, he asked them all, why are you here? Why did you kill the person you killed? And he said that they, universal response, I wanted respect. I wanted respect. This person disrespected me. But once again, ladies, if we break down the word respect, re-spectare, spectacle, to see. To see again, to really notice. They weren't seen. They weren't noticed. And again, 99% of people in prison who are murderers don't have dads. Many of them don't even know their moms. They're not seen. And so in order to be seen, they're willing to be violent. The respect we owe to others, particularly our children. And I think, of course, like who did it so well? Mary. Looking at that that tender gaze that she would have had on the baby Jesus, the great mercy she would have had on St. Joseph all the times he screwed up. Why didn't you reserve a place at the end? Why did you lose Jesus? What are you doing? But she was merciful. Or that scene, that beautiful scene with Peter and the passion of the Christ, where Peter is ashamed for denying Christ, and Mary just looks on him with that great mercy, receives. Peter, as you see, can't be received, but she sees him. And so we learn to welcome others by learning to pay attention and to see other people. The second thing is the other real sense that we use to receive others is listening. To be able to listen. Another way to receive the others. So again, not just hearing. I can hear all kinds of sounds. That doesn't mean I'm listening. (laughs) Or does it mean I'm listening to you? And so our ability to really be attuned to and to listen to others, to show interest in them. When we listen, it presume we're assuming they're speaking. And sometimes to get people to speak, we've got to ask them how they're doing. Why don't we do that? Nobody asks other people how they're doing. How are you doing? And granted, they just may say good. But really, to show interest, what's going on with you? To ask those questions. I've been a priest long enough. The number one thing people like to talk about is themselves. <laughs> Myself included. We love to talk about ourselves. Give people the opportunity. They're, they're waiting. I, I was in, I like to talk to my Uber drivers. And I was talking to him, and the guy, I was, I was up in uh, Washington this week, D.C., and the guy was saying he thinks that his Uber, he's just this random dude, that his Uber's a confessional. People come in and just start sharing their lives. <laughs> but what it's, you know, but it's people want to be heard. So we, we can. And so I, I try to, to teach others the art of empathic listening. We're going to get to this word in a little bit. To learn to really listen. You can go online to be able to have someone to ask the right questions. Not probing questions necessarily, but to get, so you're sure, I want to know more about you. To ask the right questions, to let people reveal themselves. And these questions will always reflect the person back to themselves. This is what I hear you're saying. Don't understand this correctly. Affirming, thank you for sharing. Validating what they feel. 
and this this is it takes a practice to be able to do this validating the other's feelings don't say you shouldn't feel that no don't ever tell somebody that this is all right that you feel that i understand why you feel that and again not offering advice or solutions i rarely will do that if i do it i'll say would you like my advice what kind of input would you like from me and I really make a challenge to people. Talk to someone for an hour for an hour, and never bring yourself up. Try it. Don't bring yourself up at all. Most people can't do it. I talk about myself. <laughs> but, 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 and granted, there may be a conversation where you go back and forth, but this empathic listening is really getting to listen to people. And there are plenty of videos you can watch online to do this. This is learning to receive others. You know, it's the great joy as a priest to be able to do spiritual direction for hours a day. Um, I have to have Kleenex there too sometimes, but, you know, learning to listen. People want to be heard. The next one is one that I also think is important, and I'm, I'm using my gerunds here, so it is seeing, feel, uh, seeing, hearing, and being. But specifically, being with the other. And sometimes you don't need to say anything. To welcome another person, we just need to be willing to be with them. Like, you know, the, the couple, the old couple in the rocking chairs. They're not talking. Husband's probably very happy they're not talking. <laughs> but they're just being with each other, in each other's presence. But so often we feel like, i got to say something, i got to do something, i got to fix the problem. No, you don't. You can just learn to be with another person, to be present to them. I listened to a podcast on this the other day. It was talking about particularly whenever we're suffering, we don't need solutions. We need just someone to be with us. And we're going to talk more about that at our next talk. And so we're there, but we're aware of the other person. It's like Mary at Bethany, the feet of Jesus, not like Martha, busy about doing stuff. Oh, just learn just to be with another person. That's a great way of receiving by being present to them by being with them. Does that make sense? And then finally, and I think it's it's tied to all the other ones, even though I explicitly mentioned it in, um, in, in the listening part, is feeling. This is the empathy that we can and should have for other people. To look on the other with mercy, to listen to them and feel what they're feeling, to be with them and to experience what they're experiencing. This all implies a certain empathy, the ability not just to feel for as sympathy, but to feel with the other person. Now, you may not, you, you don't say, I know what you're going through, because you don't know what another person is going through. I can imagine what you're going through, and you can learn to become more emotionally aware to connect with them in their heart. It's a deeper sensitivity to others. Men have to really work at this. Women, y'all naturally, or most women are naturally pretty good at this to be able to sense what's going on, not disregarding the other person's emotions, but making that deep emotional connection. This is welcoming with our hearts and often welcoming the heart of the other person. So these are the ways we do it. That takes habits, yeah. It takes a while to build this up. But when we do it, we become and we present ourselves as a much more welcoming space. What's the biggest obstacle to this though? to having a welcoming heart, to having an atrium that is open to receiving the blood. The biggest is basically having your arteries clogged. 
having your doorway blocked. You got 100% blockage in this. This we got. We got to put in a stent. We're gonna have to do that angioplasty in there. The artery is blocked. We're not getting blood to the heart. It's not good. And so this is where we, in our own lives, put walls up. We, we put a moat around the heart. This is the old, the old sting song from Dream of the Blue Turtles, the fortress around the heart. I don't know if anybody old police fans here. Um, some people are old enough for that. The tall hedges. No one can come in and no light can go out. This goes, there's a no vacancy sign on the door. And we all at times are going to have that. Some have big walls around their hearts. No one's coming in. Why? Well, one is because of you've been hurt, a lack of vulnerability. We put walls up because we don't want to be hurt. The, the root of vulnerability is a Latin word of vulnus, which means to be wounded. Sometimes, you know, I let this guy in before and he trashed the place. I don't want my heart being trashed again. We don't want to let the risk of others to come in. And so we shut our hearts off to love. We shut our hearts off to other people. Or we're ashamed. As I said, we have to have confidence that our, our house is nice, but we're ashamed of it. We don't think our house is worthy. We doubt the capacity of its goodness. We're ashamed of the home. Uh, you know, you, you remember the kids who never got invited to their house because they lived in the poorer section of town or the house that mom was a hoarder or something. You never got invited to their house. We can be ashamed of our own home. And so we put the walls up. Nobody can come in. Nobody can come in. So the solution, though, of course, this would be a whole other retreat. I'm giving it to you in two minutes. Is you gotta, you got to tear down the walls. It's hard to often take down the walls ourselves. you got to ask the Lord to tear down the walls. Or sometimes, like he's at the resurrection, you can say, Lord, walk through the walls. Someone, I forgot, had mentioned, I think they read this somewhere, that sometimes people not only have walls around their hearts, but they also have battlements, and they have people with guns and cannons ready to shoot you if you come close. And there are people like that. Even come close, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you a headshot. I'm going to take you out right away. I'm going to launch, you know, a catapult at you. That needs to be taken down, too. And then, of course, if we're ashamed, we hide. Come out of hiding. Let people see you and let the light come in so that others can come into the heart. Now, granted, we talk a lot of talk about boundaries, and this is important. There are some people that if they come into your heart, they will trash it. They're toxic. You, you, you can have boundaries for that. And then sometimes you got to realize I can only love so many people at this time. My heart only has a certain capacity. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. So prudence is going to guide you. I'm not saying let everybody in. Just be careful. Don't let crazy people with narcissistic tendencies into your house. It's going to hurt. Or if you do, you know, it's like letting the kids around the house. You put the little plugs in the, the whole thing so they can't break it. Go hide all the stuff that can't be broken. So you can't have boundaries. But you can have the most open, inviting heart, and you can have the cleanest, and you can have the most fluffiest pillows. And you could have the mint on the, 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 little, the little bed spread. And you could have everything. It could be the greatest. And people are still going to refuse to come in. You could look at them with mercy. You could be the kindest, the most generous. Some people don't want to come in. 
It's like the father's prepared this big party. The older son doesn't want to come in. And why not? Some want to hide like Adam and Eve, like the Samaritan woman who wanted to hide and go draw draw water at noon when no one was around. Some, some, as if any of you know this movie, some people got a rabbit in their blood, a cool hand Luke. They like to run. Got a rabbit in his blood. They don't want to come anywhere near you. Some may lash out. You have a trashy house. You hurt me with last time when you really didn't. But it's always self-exclusion. They're choosing not to come in because of all these different sort of reasons. Feeling like a bother or a burden, not feeling worthy, feeling unsaved, feeling angry or resentful like the older son, or thinking you will abandon them. You want to love them, but they won't let you. Lesson that I've learned, you can only love someone to the extent that they, they are willing to allow you to love them. You can't force it. You've got to be like Jesus, who never forces, who always respects our freedom. So always, the, 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 the father didn't chase after the younger son and the prodigal son. He let him go. The older father said, you're going to come into this house. You're going to eat this delicious food that I made. No, you want to stay outside? Your choice, bro. The door is always open. The light is always on, but I can't force you to come in. But just because people don't want to come in doesn't mean we say, well, you don't like the house, I'm closing the doors. No. Does it hurt the father's heart? Absolutely. In the prodigal son. He would love his kids to be there. And it's going to hurt your son when people reject you, your heart, particularly when your children do. But this is part of the pain of the heart. But if we are indeed welcoming heart and we have, we're doing all these things and we're letting people in, what's the biggest sign of a happy home? The biggest sign of a welcoming home, I think it's joy. I'm allowed to talk about joy. It's the surest sign of holiness or God's presence. Think of the people that you know that are holiest. They are the most joyful people, usually in and out of season. Hey, Paul says rejoice always in Philippians 4.4. He didn't say rejoice when things are good. He says always. Doesn't mean we can't mourn, but we've got to have this joy that comes from knowing the Lord is with us, even in dark times, and being supported by the love of others. So the joy is shown when we see others. Our face lights up. It's great to see you. Come into the house. Have a cup of coffee. Particularly important for children. It affirms their existence. And then when you're in the house, it's so great here. Let's talk. How have you been doing? Delighting in the other person. Scripture says over and over again, the father delights in Israel, delights in the children. Enjoys their presence. And there's a playfulness to it. I think I like to talk about that little cartoon that your grandkids love, Bluey. The dad and mom play with the kids. There's a levity there. It's not always heavy. So Mary's heart delights in receiving others. And I think this is something that can be really attractive. You can't be serious, sad, and harsh all the time. People are not going to want to stay. If all you do is you want to talk about heavy, boring topics. Nope. The joy is what draws others in, like the, like the party. The, the, the son heard the noise from the party. What's going on in there? It's like the voice of children playing in the playground. You, you're attracted to it. You want to go there. It's the joy is the light that shines that's going to be the most attractive thing to welcome people in. 
I thought that it would be helpful, though, in my own sort of way of doing this, to try to maybe give some examples. I thought about putting them in the, the context of the talk as a whole, but I'm just going to kind of put them here. Um, I, I can think of, I did a lot of work with college students, and I saw a lot of changes, but and I could give you so many stories. We'd be here all day long. One of the most significant ones was from this, this young woman who I didn't even know her first two and a half years at the student center. I mean, I knew who she was, but she, like, wore clothes that really hid herself. She had these big old glasses and her hair was almost hanging over her face. And she was always kind of sad all the time. Uh, and wasn't really noticed by anyone. She ended up going to uh, one of these conferences, these national conferences, going to confession for the first time in a long time. And something began to change very gradually. She seemed to smile a little bit more. She'd come around more. And then she actually went to this thing called Summer Projects, where college students can work for the summer uh, and minister and be ministered to at a different resort or something. And she allowed herself to be loved for the first time. And this just whoop, opened the doors. She allowed herself to be loved. She came back, was a completely different person. And in the course of that year, year and a half that she was back, she had the biggest heart and was like a mother to everybody at the student center. The most joyful person had a significant impact on other people, even older people. I'd have people 10 years older than her come and crying to me that they were loved and welcomed by this, this, this 20-year-old girl, this 21-year-old girl. And then her heart grew so big, she did what a lot of them do, she became a sister. So, got to see her get her first vows uh, just this week. I'm just so joyful, and the heart is still open. This is what it's about welcoming. And so this is what we're going to get into that. Sometimes we don't think our, our, our heart is, is lovable, so we have to be receive love in order to think that's possible. So that's a big way of doing it. So if we're going to tear down the walls, we've got to let ourselves be seen. We've got to let ourselves be heard before we can do it to others. But I really think, you know, for the 11 years I was at the, the, the Catholic Student Center, to be able to take Our Lady of Wisdom on UL's campus to make it a very welcoming place. Uh, we, we put a cafe there to draw people in. I told the students, please, when someone walks in you don't know, welcome them. It was hard. Sometimes they didn't like to do it. But I had a lot of people there who were very confident, who had Marian hearts and wanted to get to know people, our focused missionaries. <laughs> One of the, the best uh, compliments I got is one of them said, Father, wisdom is a place you can't hide. <laughs> and, and I thought, I said, I'm going to rephrase that. I think it's a place where you will be seen. People are going to notice you. Or you, if you're hiding, you're going to be loved and sort of loved into existence, welcome into existence. So again, that heart which is closed off can open up to be able to receive others. And so I'm sure all of you in your own lives can think of different people and the ways that, that, that the heart has been opened. And we can do it ourselves, but that's the key. If we find that our heart is unwelcome, unclosed, it is allowing the Lord to love us. It is allowing others to see us and say, hey, your heart's pretty good. You're not that bad off. That opens the heart to be able to be welcoming and receiving, receptive to others. So... This is the, the conclusion, and again, I'll give you some homework until we meet again this afternoon. What are the things that are not making your heart welcoming right now? You have shame, you have clutter, 
you have walls, and ask Jesus, say, Lord, come take these away, or at least start taking uh, to take them away. Tear down these walls. Make my heart a suitable heart so it can be a home for others. Number two, asking yourself, too, how can I get better at seeing others, listening, being present to, and feeling with them? What are those obstacles? What are some ways that I can grow in this? What are some habits I can build? And then finally, going to Luke's Gospel, reflecting on the visitation. Right after the Annunciation in Luke 1, when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. The way not only Elizabeth welcomed Mary, but Mary welcomed Elizabeth in her own heart, and that, that receptivity there. And just spend some time reflecting on that. Yeah, yeah, just the visitation. I mean, there's a there's a dual exchange there of Elizabeth welcoming Mary for those three months, but also Mary welcoming Elizabeth and John. Since we're kind of trying to focus on Mary. And so the next talk, you know, is our heart grows. We want to have space for more and more people. And, and the capacity has to grow. We have to add some new rooms. And we're going to talk about that process and what that looks like. So we'll close with the glory be. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, shall be, or without end. Amen. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I think I'm